just kind of felt led to sing that song. I don't know why. Maybe somebody needed that. <laughs> so um, I love that song. Great message there. Um, Judges chapter 8. <clears throat> Judges chapter 8. And uh, we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about the first part of the chapter, but we're going to have our main text uh, found in verses 21 and following. But let me kind of give you a background first. <coughs> um, Gideon is doing the mop-up campaign, and he, is, uh, he has a run-in with the Ephraimites in the first few verses, and they're upset because they weren't involved in the first part of the battle. And so Gideon tactfully tells them, hey, you know, you guys took care of the mop-up campaign. You killed a whole lot more people than we did. And so, uh, <coughs> excuse me. So uh, he says, uh, also, uh, they are going to capture Zeba and Zalmunna. And so uh, Gideon takes his 300 men. He goes to two towns and asks for provisions. They refuse to give it. And then uh, Gideon warns them he's going to uh, chasten them with thorns and that he's going to tear down their tower. And he does that when he comes back through after catching Zeba and Zalmunna. Then he, he asks for his son to put Zeba and Zalmunna to death. He's afraid to do it, but Gideon who's acting more and more like a king, does it himself. And so uh, we pick that up in verse 21. <coughs> Y'all say a prayer. Having some trouble here. Look at verse 21. Zeban Zalmunna said, Get up and kill us yourself, for a man is judged by his strength. So Gideon got up, killed Zebat and Zalmunna, took the crescent ornaments that were on the necks of their camels. Then the Israelites said to Gideon, Rule over us, you as well as your sons and your grandsons, for you delivered us from the power of Midian. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Then he said to them, Let me make a request of you. Everyone give me an earring from his plunder. Now the enemy had gold earrings because they were Ishmaelites. They said, we agreed to give them. So they spread out a mantle, and everyone threw an earring from his plunder on it. The weight of the gold earrings he requested was about 43 pounds of gold, in addition to the crescent ornaments and ear pendants, the purple garments on the kings of Midian, and the chains on their necks and their camels. Gideon made an ephod from all of this and put it in Ophrah, his hometown. Then all Israel prostituted themselves with it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and his household. So Midian was subdued before the Israelites, and they were no longer a threat. The land was peaceful 40 years during the days of Gideon. Uh, Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, son of Joash, went back to live at his house. Gideon had 70 sons, his own offspring, since he had many wives. His concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son, and he named him Abimelech. Then Gideon, son of Joash, died at a ripe old age and was buried in the tomb of his father Joash in Ophrah of the Abiezrites. 
When Gideon died, the Israelites turned and prostituted themselves with the Baals and made Baal Berit their God. The Israelites did not remember the Lord, their God, who had delivered them from the power of the enemies around them. They did not show kindness to the house of Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, for all the good he had done for Israel. So, um, I remember a few years back, I was having some trouble with some pain in a tooth that I had capped earlier. And uh, I'd gone to the dentist, and he said, okay, I'm going to send you the specialist. So I went to the specialist who was going to pull the tooth. Uh, and so I was, I was nervous because I've had this situation where they give me a shot, and I still feel the pain. Y'all ever been there? And so I said, would you please give me an extra shot <laughs> so that I will not feel this? And he said, I will. And so he gave me a shot, and he said, now I'm going to pull this cap off. And he said, you shouldn't feel a thing. So he grabbed a hold of it. And he pulled it, and I felt it. He said, I, I went, ow. And he said, you shouldn't be feeling that. There's something wrong. And so he looked at it a little closer, and he said, okay. He said, uh, I, I see what's wrong. There's an infection down inside the crack in your tooth. And he said, the only way to fix it is to stick the needle down into the crack and to pump the pain medicine down in that, in that crack. And so... Um, he proceeded to do that, and I was yelling and writhing and uh, moving around like a charismatic. And uh, the nurses in the room were white-faced uh, when he finished. But after he put that paint in there, he took that tooth right out, and I didn't feel a thing. But the problem was that I had infection in the tooth. And, you know, sometimes we can have infection creep up on us, just like I did, without even realizing it. And can slowly slide away from where we need to be with God. A spiritual infection, so to speak. And so we need God to help us uh, to stay on the right track and to avoid this spiritual decay. And there's some things I think we can observe from Gideon's life that we need to avoid so that we don't go down this path of spiritual decay. Now Gideon had done some great things. Uh, he had trusted in God. He had delivered the people from the Midianites and uh, had, had followed God's direction, had submitted to God's directions in his life. But when you get to chapter 8, there's a silence about God's working or moving in anything that goes on in chapter 8. Now it seems like Gideon is taking the initiative himself and we find out later on in the chapter that Zeba and Zalmunna had killed some of his relatives, which is why he's so determined to go after them. We find him doing what they should have done to the Canaanites and driving them out of the land. He's doing to two Judah, uh, two, uh, two Jewish cities. He's, he's persecuting his own people rather than attacking the enemy. And, and then you come to the latter part of the chapter, and there are four things I think that you see that Gideon does that we need to especially avoid in our lives. And so, uh, if you look at verse 21, he says, uh, Gideon got up, killed Zeba and Zalmunna, and took the crescent ornaments that were on the necks of their camels. Now, the time my message is avoiding spiritual decay, and the first thing that we need to avoid is practicing idolatry. 
Now, these crescent ornaments were, were probably used as a symbol of the moon god. And, um, and later on, he takes these ornaments, and it, it calls to mind a situation in the book of Exodus where Aaron gathered the ornaments and the spoils of war to make a golden calf. Well, Gideon does the same thing. And he makes an ephod that was supposed to be a religious article that the priests used that had something in it called the Urim and the Thurim. Thumim. And uh, they would take these things. They were kind of like uh, dice, but you would, you know, they'd throw two of them. And uh, if they both came up one side, it meant this is God's will. If they came up the other side, it meant uh, this is not God's will. And if one came up one way and the other came up the other way, it meant there's no answer. And so... Um, they would use these things to determine the will of God, but it was supposed to be worn by the high priest, and it was supposed to be used by the high priest to determine the will of God in those days because the Holy Spirit had not yet come uh, in the way that he has today. So um, Gideon takes this ephod, and he sets it up, and the people begin, and he and his family even, begin to worship this idol, and the Bible says it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. And so the one who is named Jerub Baal, may Baal plead, the one who destroyed the altar of Baal and destroyed the statue of Baal and cut down the Asherah poles in his father's own yard, uh, now is leading the Israelites back into idolatry. The first time in the book of Judges that you see this, the Israelites start backsliding back into the same things while the judge is still involved. And this is part of the symptom of the downward slide of the culture. We have the same situation in our culture today. There's a downward slide in our culture. And we need to be careful as God's people that we don't get snared into idolatry. So, uh, how do you get snared into idolatry? Well, most of us probably don't bow down to statues. But anything that you put before God in importance becomes an idol in your life. And so... We, we need to surrender these things. And sometimes it can be very subtle. Uh, sometimes even doing God's work can become an idol. Uh, I remember a season of time in my life where I was doing so much that uh, my personal time with God began to suffer. This was back when I was growing up, and I told my parents about it. said, I, you know, uh, I'm going to back off and not do as many things. But, but I could tell my spiritual life was suffering. Uh, there have been times I, f I felt like God said, hey, listen, what's more important to you, your work or me? And, uh, and I've had to deal with that in my life at times. And so, um, but it could be family, it could be a, a leisure activity that you do, that you begin to put um, in, in more importance than God. Uh, one way you can tell what's most important to you is what do you spend your time on and what do you spend your money on? That will tell you a whole lot right there about what the most important values are in your life. Uh, scripture says, where your treasure is there, where your heart be also. So, but uh, idolatry can be very subtle. And so just be aware of that. And, and if you notice that uh, your spiritual walk with God is slipping, you might ask God, Lord, is there anything in my life that is displeasing to you, uh, anything that uh, I have put before you? And, and uh, he, will, he will let you know if there's something. Uh, his spirit will make it known to you. And so you want to uh, deal with that decisively. And uh, one way that you can do that is not only to confess it, but also uh, to, to make a decision 
that whatever God tells you to do about that particular thing, you're going to do it. If that means not setting aside a hobby, <laughs> you'll think this is funny, but uh, uh, one of Sherry's friends that came up to visit, she was telling us about her son who, uh, who loved to, to hunt pigs. And so he had his own pigs. And he would practice hunting and train uh, his dogs, I guess, you know, to run after these pigs. And, and uh, it became an idol in his life. Now, some of you are thinking, but a pig's an idol. That's a, but, but for him, it was important. So anyway, God spoke to his, to his heart, and he said, Mom, I'm giving up my pigs. I believe God has put his finger on that in my life and said that you've made these pigs more important than me, and you need to, to, to get rid of them and put me first. And so he did that. But it, but it was important enough for him to take that step in his life to put God first. Uh, God needs to be first in your life, uh, the number one priority above all else. And so uh, Gideon uh, was practicing idolatry, so he began to have spiritual decay in his life. Make sure you don't do the same thing. Uh, ask God to, to fill you with his Holy Spirit and give you a heart that loves him. Let's face it, none of us can consistently love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and our neighbor as ourselves without a supernatural empowering of the Holy Spirit. Amen? We just need him for that. We can't do it ourselves. And so um, ask, the, ask God to fill you with the Spirit and for the Spirit uh, to love God through you and to, to be obedient to God and to put God first through you in your life. So practicing idolatry is, is the first thing you need to avoid uh, in spiritual decay. Secondly, trusting in men. Now this is really interesting. If you look up at verse 22, the Israelites said to Gideon, Rule over us, you as well as your sons and your grandsons, for you delivered us from the power of Midian. Now, I don't know if you remember what God said to them earlier in the former chapters when Gideon was, remember he gathered all the men and, and God said, Okay, uh, these are too many. Because if you take this many, y'all are going to think you did it. And you're going to have to send these home and send these home and so forth. And so finally he ends up with 300 men against thousands and thousands of Midianites. And all they do is break a jar, hold up a torch, blow a horn and say, For the sword of the Lord and for Gideon. And God throws the people into confusion. They start killing each other and they flee. And so... You know, I mean, just Gideon really didn't do anything except follow what God told him to do. God won the battle. And yet they're giving Gideon the credit for what only God could do. Uh, this is very subtle. People, tr people tend to trust in physical things instead of trusting in God. Um, these expressions, well, well if, if we have uh, the right person in this role, our church will grow. If we have this right with our building, our church will grow. If we do this organizational scheme, our church will grow. Now, there's nothing wrong with those things. And God may use an organizational scheme. He may use an individual or whatever. Nothing wrong with those things, but when we begin to trust in those things rather than trusting in God, there's a problem. And so, um, the people had very subtly 
begun to shift from saying God did this to saying, now Gideon, you did this, and so we want you to rule. We don't really want God ruling over us. We want you rule over us. And so uh, make sure that in your life you're not trusting in men. Another way, we, we can trust in ourselves. Sometimes uh, people say, well, you know, hey, I'm, I'm secure. I've got money in the bank. Uh, you know, I've got careers going well. Things are going well. I've got this thing. I'm, I raise myself up by my bootstraps. And, you know, and people sometimes will trust in themselves. I did this. I accomplished this. And it's like Jesus said that, you know, the guy said, I'm going to build bigger barns. He said, this, you fool, this night your soul will be required of you. And, you know, if you gain the whole world and lose your soul, you're in trouble. Uh, so sometimes people will trust in themselves. And so be careful that you don't trust your bank account. Or you don't trust that other person who you think is going to come through for you. Trust in God. Uh, one way you can tell what you're trusting in is, do you pray? Prayer shows faith in God. Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, will we find faith on the earth? And he was speaking about persistence in prayer. Are you, are you praying? Are you taking your needs to God? Uh, somebody was telling me, uh, uh, I think it was uh, Steve, uh, you know, Steve and Doris. Uh, Steve was telling me that uh, he was in a committee meeting in a church and... Um, they were, they were talking about some problem, and Steve said, well, why don't we pray about it? And somebody across the room said, surely it hasn't come to that. And, uh, you know, you could tell who they're trusting in. Why? Because God's the last resort. They've got this thing wired. They've got this thing figured out. Somebody once said most church services could go on uninterrupted if the Holy Spirit departed and nobody could tell the difference. You see, we need to trust in the Holy Spirit. We need to trust in God uh, rather than trusting in men. We have this treasure in earthen jars of clay. That's the Apostle Paul. I'm a clay jar and so are you. <laughs> we need him. Uh, we need the glory that is within. And so trust in God, not in men. Now, so Gideon, Gideon is... Um, he has a really good answer. He says, I'm not going to rule over you. My son's not going to rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Great answer. However, the first thing he does is, is take up a tax, right? He gathers money. Isn't that what governments like to do? Uh, then he has a harem. He gets a harem together. Um, he had many wives, 70 sons, because he had many wives and had a concubine who bore a son named Abimelech who causes a whole lot of trouble in the next chapter. Um, so he's, he's acting like a king. Then guess what, guess what the word Abimelech means? That son that he has that's named Abimelech, guess what that means? Abimelech means my father, Abi, is king, Melech. Abimelech, my father, is king. He names his son that. Okay. I'll not be your king. The Lord will be your king. But I'm going to name my son Abimelech. <laughs> Connect the dots. Um, and so, um, you know, he's, he is uh, saying one thing out of one side of his mouth, but he's living the opposite way. Uh, anyway, I will get to that a little bit more in a, in a second. But um, 
What should we avoid to avoid spiritual decay? Well, first of all, practicing idolatry. Secondly, trusting in men. Thirdly, disregarding warnings. Um, in verse 30 and 31, it talks about Gideon's, all his sons and his wives and so forth. He's a, he is failing to listen to a warning that God gave in Deuteronomy 17, 17, when God said, the kings of Israel should not multiply their wives because they will turn their hearts away after other gods. And so this was something specifically warning the people of Israel. Uh, so even though Gideon's not really owning up to the fact that he's a king, he's acting like a king, but he is also disregarding the warnings of God. He's also getting a lot of gold, which is something else Deuteronomy 17, 17 says the, the king shouldn't do. And so he's disregarding the word of God and the warnings of God. And so he continues on this pathway of spiritual decay. Solomon did the same thing, didn't he? And, and uh, he was the wisest man besides Christ, of course, that ever lived. And yet... He wasn't all that smart because he had a thousand wives, <laughs> and uh, he, uh, they led his heart astray. Um, he multiplied horses from Egypt. The Bible said, don't do that. Don't go down to Egypt for horses. Multiplied horses. Don't gather large amounts of gold. Solomon surely did that. Um, isn't it funny how even godly people sometimes can lose sight of what matters? And slowly have spiritual decay creep into their lives and draw them away from God. Um, so be careful about that. Take the warnings of God seriously and the word of God seriously uh, so, that you won't, uh, so that you won't have spiritual decay continue in your life. Um, isn't it amazing how differently Saul and David responded to being confronted over their sin? You remember that? Saul, is uh, he comes back, and God has told him not to spare anything but to kill everything that breathes, and he, he brings back the sacrificial animals and, and the king, uh, Agag, of the Amalekites. And, and Samuel comes and uh, you know, pronounces what God has said to him and says, Look, you know, God's, uh, God's going to take the kingdom away from you and give it to somebody who has a, a man, who's a man after his own heart because you've not obeyed God. He says... Well, I obeyed God. I went down there and, and fought this battle. And Samuel said, well, what is this bleeding of sheep that I hear in my ears? You haven't obeyed God. He was rationalizing it. He was trying to explain it away. He was unwilling to follow the, the, the word of the Lord. And he made excuses when, when, God, when God's, God's men uh, confronted him over it. And so, uh, But David, on the other hand, has done something that you know, it's pretty serious, pretty bad. Committed adultery and murdered somebody by sending them to the front lines. Nathan comes to him and says, you are the man. Uh, you're the one who's guilty of this sin. And, and David has uh, a brief response. I have sinned. And David repents of his sin. Um, and so be, the difference in those two men... Saul ended up losing a kingdom, but David was able to be used by God and restored, even though there were some consequences that went on in his life, he was able to be restored because he listened to the warning and the confrontation of God in his life. Um, my mother told me before I went into the ministry, uh, 
Don't offer counsel to people who aren't seeking it. And when they seek it, don't expect them to follow it. And uh, I found that that's true. And sometimes it's, you see you, people come to you for counsel. They really want you to affirm what they already have made up their minds to do versus really take, you know, some, there are exceptions. You know, there are people that genuinely seek counsel. But um, isn't it sad when, when somebody knows the truth and they still make the wrong decision? Um, disregarding warnings. That, that's a recipe for spiritual decay in your life. So, um, what should we avoid? Um, avoid practicing idolatry, avoid trusting in men, avoid disregarding warned warnings. And finally, avoid pretending obedience. I mentioned a little bit about this before. My father is king. Gideon, what he says is great. I will not rule over you. My son will not rule over you, but God will rule over you. And that was what God intended. The judges were just supposed to be representatives for God. Gideon, on the surface, says what he's supposed to say. He says what's theologically correct. He says what God wants him to say, but he does the opposite. You ever known people that talk the good talk, but don't walk the good walk? Uh, we've probably all done that ourselves at one time or another, but... Uh, but hopefully not on an ongoing basis in our lives. Don't pretend obedience. I, I know that uh, when I was raised in church, uh, before I was saved, I would act one way at church and act another way at school. Uh, there's a lot of people that do that. They pretend obedience. They know the right things to say at church. They know the right things to do. They know the right. They can even maybe offer a good prayer uh, as far as impressing other people, uh, but their heart is not genuinely following after God. Don't pretend obedience. Be genuinely obedient from your heart, because if you pretend obedience, there will be spiritual decay in your life. And that's what happened with Gideon. And, and, and Gideon, in the latter part of his life, he could have had such a legacy because he had, a, he had a great beginning. He was trusting God. He was putting his trust and confidence in God. And he was humble and he was seeking God's face. But now he is focused on himself and his own power and his own way. And his heart is drifting away from God. And he's going farther and farther into corruption. And what he does in moderation, Abimelech does in excess. We don't have time to get into that. But there were consequences that went on uh, as a result of Gideon's decision. And um, take care of that spiritual infection before uh, you have to have the needle stuck in the crack and the poison, uh, the poison, it felt like poison, uh, the uh, pain medication shoved in, right? I mean, you don't want to go there. Why take the pain uh, and, and the hardship? of uh, having to deal with a serious problem of spiritual decay, nip it in the bud at the beginning, uh, deal with it. Um, but, but let me say this. For those who have an advanced case of spiritual decay, there's still hope for you because we serve a God who raises the dead. Um, you don't find a more ho hopeless place than a tomb. And yet Jesus said to Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus came forth. Jesus himself came out of the grave. 
I love what Peter says. We have a living hope. A living hope. And uh, because Jesus is raised from the dead, we have the power of the resurrection within us, we can learn to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we can use the prayers of God's people. Uh, and we can follow the principles of God's word. And we can find ourselves brought out of a pit of spiritual decay through the power of God's grace. And so there's no, there's no uh, pit that God can't lift somebody out of. I mean, all you've got to do is read the New Testament to find example after example. And, you know, we've seen uh, God do some, some great things uh, uh, like with Robert and uh, some, uh, pulling him out of a pit and, and as he shared with us in, as a congregation. But, but I want you to know we serve an awesome God. But why go there? Why go down deeper into the pit of spiritual decay when you don't have to? Nip it in the bud. Deal with it at the outset. So, avoiding spiritual decay. Now, these are some things, but there could be a, probably a lot longer list uh, to avoid spiritual decay. But here's the idea. Keep short accounts with God. When you have sin in your life, confess it to God. Um... Ask for the Holy Spirit's uh, filling in your life. Ask for God to teach you how to walk in the Spirit. Um, pray with other people. It's a Wednesday night prayer meeting plug, although we're not doing Wednesday night this week, so you have to come a week from Wednesday. But uh, uh, pray with other people. That's a strengthening thing, an encouraging thing. Um, and, and, and take these measures in your life. Be in God's Word. Be with God's people and in Sunday school and uh, find that encouragement uh, through that fellowship with other believers and um, take those steps that God has given. So, but, but keep those short accounts with God and deal with sin at the outset, whatever that sin may be, so that you can avoid going down a path. Because somebody once said you're, you're either going forward or you're going backward in the Christian life. You're never staying still. And so if you're not progressing in your walk with God, you're, you're going backwards. Um, somebody says, well, I'll just make a decision not to make a decision. No, if you make a decision not to make a decision and God's telling you to make a decision, that's a decision of obedience, So uh, the, of disobedience. So, uh, you know, make that right decision and follow Christ with your whole heart. Um, scripture says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me. With all your heart. Uh, Father, um, the Father says that when we call out to him, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Um, we can't come in our own strength with all our heart to seek God. But we can come to God and say, Lord, I'm broken. You remember that story? The Pharisee and the publican. The Pharisees, I thank you, God, that I'm not like other men, that I've got this thing wired. And the, and the publican saying, Lord, he's beating his, his chest. He's saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, the publican went home justified. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Um, the great thing about God is the relationship with Jesus Christ, that whenever we come to him with our brokenness, he's willing to hear us. Isn't that a wonderful thing? And so... Um, if your heart's not where it needs to be, tell God about it. Confess your sins. He is faithful just to forgive you of your sins. And what? Cleanse you of all 
unrighteousness. So bring, we, that sounds like a message I preached last week, doesn't it? Bring your broken pieces to Jesus. Bring your brokenness to Jesus. He is the great physician. It's not just a physical healing. He, he can bring a spiritual healing as well. And there's no spiritual infection that Jesus Christ antiseptic can't cure. And so bring it to him. So avoiding spiritual decay. Avoid practicing idolatry, trusting in men, disregarding warnings, and pretending obedience. And these will be some great steps to help you to avoid spiritual decay in your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the fact that you are faithful. And Lord, um, sometimes it's easy for us to begin to drift from you. But I thank you, Lord, that you are so willing to come to our side in love and in grace.